Well, we are in the middle of a series as we're talking about how do we live God's way in a world that, that seems to be at times going uh, every other way. And it's uh, uh, kind of our basis for that is the New Testament letter that Peter wrote. Uh, we know it as First Peter. It's in the back of the New Testament. I want to encourage you to find First Peter chapter 3 as we're going to be looking there uh, together this morning. But part of what it means to live God's way in a world that, that seems to be going uh, every other way at times is is being ready to to share the hope, to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I know when we begin to think about that, uh, sometimes that that seems very, very intimidating in in the 21st century world, but I want to kind of take you back to the first century for just a moment. And I want to ask you to think with me of all the things that they didn't have when it comes to sharing the hope that we have. They didn't have air-conditioned buildings, right? (laughs) They didn't have internet. They didn't have pretty materials. They didn't have, most of them didn't have a a copy of scripture that they could carry around with them, that they could have downloaded on their phone and access at any moment at any time. They didn't have access to to messages from decades and decades and decades of teaching of God's Word that they could pull up online in just a moment. They didn't have all the trainings and tools and resources that we have. They didn't have folks that specialized in answering objections to the faith and volumes and volumes and volumes that had been written about that. And yet, within a few short years, within a few short years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these men and women who didn't have so many things that we take for granted had somehow managed to gossip the gospel across the Roman Empire. In fact is, their message was so well known that, that they were accused of turning the world upside down, although we might say they were seeking to turn it right side up. How did they do that? In the absence of all the things that we feel like we need, all the resources we have easy access to, how were they able to powerfully share the hope that they had in Jesus Christ? Well, it wasn't because of a few superstars. It was because there were ordinary men and women who labored at all sorts of different occupations, who gossiped the gospel wherever they went, who planted seeds and watered those seeds and lived intentionally for Jesus Christ. And in their ordinary lives, God used them in extraordinary ways in their spheres of influence to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the poorest of the poor and even to some of the most powerful positions around. But it was ordinary men and women who shared their hope, which begs the question, why do we struggle with it today, right? Why do we struggle so much to share 
the hope that we have. And I think from personal experience and from lots of conversations with lots of people, there's a, a word, one word answer. And that word is fear. It's fear. But perhaps the number one reason that more Christians do not share their faith is fear. And that's not just a 21st century thing. That was a 1st century thing as well. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, he talks a little bit about that. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Fear. It's a very real part of sharing the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And as you think about fear, there, there's some common threads. Sometimes we fear, they're going to ask me a question I don't know the answer to, right? I fear that they may reject me, or I may lose the friendship, or I fear some repercussions perhaps, some, some blowback on me on that, or I fear messing it up. It's such an important message. I fear messing it up. And on and on and on the list goes. I remember reading of a fellow that was conducting a workshop and he, uh, about sharing your faith. And, and you have to address the issue of fear in that. And, and he talked about some of the fears and they gave some of those. And then he, he kind of said, well, what's the, what's the worst thing that could happen to you if you shared your faith? And one little boy in there said, well, they could kill you. <laughs> They kind of laughed a little nervously. And he looked at him and said, well, how many have you lost lately? How many have you lost lately? Now, here's the thing. If you'd asked that question to the folks that Peter was writing to, they could probably give you some names. They could probably tell you some folks that they had lost lately and yet even with that reality of suffering for righteousness sake they took the gospel with them wherever they went here's what I want to suggest to you this morning I want to suggest to you that maybe what we need is to reframe fear to think about fear a little bit differently Maybe we need to start thinking about fear as, as first of all, it's, it's normal. I mean, it's a normal reaction, right? It's, it's normal. It, when we're coming to something as important as sharing our faith in Jesus Christ, we probably should feel a little anxiety. We should feel a little fear. That should be normal. But it's also one of the ways that God uses to prepare our bodies and to prepare our minds, right? And so when you feel some anxiety, when you feel some fear, that's not a stop sign. That should be an encouraging sign. God has kind of got some adrenaline flowing here. God's got some things moving so that my mind and my body will function at a heightened capacity for this opportunity. And so I begin to think of fear as it's not a stop sign, it's something normal. It's normal about the way that God prepares me for something important along the way. But fear also is helpful in this respect. Fear reminds me 
that I can't do it on my own. Fear is that that signal that I need a power greater than myself. And so if I begin to feel fear, how I frame that makes all the difference. If I feel fear and I say, that's a stop sign, I'm never going to fulfill God's calling on my life. But if I feel fear and understand it as normal, as a normal response that God's wired into me, if I understand it as a way of heightening my recognition of my need for God's Spirit to move, then it sets me up to be able to move forward beyond my fear to share my faith. And that's what Peter's talking about in these few verses we're going to look at this morning. How do I move beyond my fear? Not denying fear. Fear is there. Fear's a part of it. How do I move beyond my fears so they don't control me, they don't stop me, to move beyond my fears to share Jesus? And in these few verses, Peter highlights four things that I think are as applicable today as they were to the first century audience that he was writing to. How do I move beyond my fears? The first thing that Peter wrote to them about was you have to have a personal experience with Jesus. If you're going to move beyond your fears, It begins with your personal experience with Jesus. Look at the first part of uh, verse 15 there in chapter 3. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Some of your translations will say, set apart Christ's order. Sanctify Christ as Lord. It is just that recognition. I, I come back to my relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the starting place. That is the foundation upon which I stand. That I, that I recognize who he is. That I understand that, that I am related to him by his grace. And so as we think about this personal experience, I want you to think, in terms of three uh, uh, kind of descriptors of that. The first is it's a settled experience, a settled experience. It's an experience where God has, has moved in my life by his grace through Jesus Christ and that through faith, a faith response, I am now personally related to Jesus Christ. I am sealed with his Holy Spirit. That's not going to be taken away from me. There is a security in that. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There is this settled experience that I can live in every single day of my life. And while it is a settled experience, it is also a continuous experience. It's a continuous experience so that on an ongoing basis, I need to honor the Lord, honor Christ the Lord as holy, to set him apart. So on a consistent basis, I'm I'm choosing to recognize he is the rightful ruler of my life. He is the one whose will is the absolute best. And so on a continuous basis, I choose to align myself with him, to align my will with him. So out of a settled experience and an ongoing continuous experience, what I will hope to have is an obvious experience, an obvious experience so that that others who will begin to, to rub shoulders with me over time might begin to sense there is something different about her. There's something different about him. In fact, is in the last part of that that verse we're going to look at in just a moment. He talks about those who ask you for a reason for the hope that you have. Why would someone ask you? 
because they see something in you. There is something obvious in you. And so the platform for sharing my faith, for moving beyond my fears, begins with this personal experience with Jesus Christ. William Gurnell said, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. And the more, the more I understand who he is, the more I live in a, a reverential awe of who he is, this holy fear, that it begins to empower me to move beyond my fears of people along the way. The Puritans wrote many, many things through the years. Many prayers are recorded. One of their lesser-known prayers, perhaps, has something to do with this whole area of fear in our personal experience. The Puritan prayer goes like this. Expel from my mind all sinful fear so that with firmness and courage I may confess the Redeemer before men. Expel from my mind all sinful fear. Fear that's, that's focused on myself. Fear that's focused on my limitations. Uh, fear that, that is not focused on the needs of someone else or not focused on the greatness of God. And so, God, help me to move beyond those sinful fears. And so what I want to do this morning with each of kind of these points that Peter makes, I, I want to give us a question that I hope will be kind of a platform for, for application for our lives. And the question is simply this on this first one. What are you doing? to nurture and develop your personal experience with Jesus Christ. What are you doing to nurture and develop your personal experience with Jesus Christ? Because it is through a powerful personal experience with Jesus that you'll begin to move beyond your fears to share the hope that you have with others. But if I'm not living in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, if I've got it on cruise control, if there, there's, there's kind of been pushed to the side or the periphery of my life, I'm not going to be sharing Jesus Christ and the hope that I have. What am I doing to nurture and develop my personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Secondly, if I'm going to move beyond my fears, I'm going to do so through a personal communication of our story. Through a personal communication of our story. Back to verse 15. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Is, you need to be prepared to personally communicate your story, your experience with Jesus Christ. And just to break this down a little bit, he talks about, first of all, a, a preparation. A preparation. So we are to be prepared. Always being prepared prepared. That means in advance, right? Uh, not, uh, not just in the moment, but, but in advance, I've kind of begun to think through a little bit. How, how could I clearly, how can I compellingly, how can I concisely kind of communicate my story, my experience with Jesus Christ? How can I be ready for that along the way? I, I don't know. Have you, have you had the, uh, the experience, because I've had it too many times, that you're you're in a conversation, and then then you're driving away from that conversation, and and later you think, oh, why didn't I? 
Or you lay your head on the pillow that night. Or you're in the shower the next morning. And it's like, oh, I, I should have said, I, I could have. Why didn't I ask? That's part of the preparation journey. That's part of the preparation journey. And, and don't beat yourself up because you didn't think of it in the moment. Just say, how can I begin to take some of these thoughts that came to me on the drive away or the pillow at night or the shower the next morning? How can I begin to incorporate those thoughts into a preparation for the next opportunity God would give me to communicate my story? There's a preparation, and my preparation is to be a witness, a witness. He talks about making a defense. The Greek word there is apologio, which it doesn't kind of make a lot of sense to us, but it's, it's not so much an apology in the sense of I'm sorry. It's an apology in terms of we get the, the word apologetics. So kind of here's a reason. Here's kind of my testimony of why I have this hope. Think about it this way, and, and when we talk about being a witness in court, uh, when you're asked to be a witness in court, most of the time what we want to hear is your personal experience, right? We, we, we actually don't want to spend a lot of time, you know, hearing what, what you heard, uh, somebody said, somebody said, somebody said, right? Now, what did you personally see? What did you personally hear? What did you personally experience? Or maybe you have some particular expertise uh, to lend to a situation, but we want you to, to speak out of your own experience. What have you personally experienced? And, and that's what it means to be a witness to Jesus Christ. To just say, let me tell you a little of my story. Let me speak to you out of my experience. I give witness to that. And then he talks about an approach. An approach to do it with gentleness and respect. Some of us, let's be honest, some of us really don't move beyond our fears to share our faith because one of the things we're most fearful of is I don't want to be obnoxious, right? I don't want to be like so-and-so. I've heard their stories about how they kind of buttonholed somebody and they kind of got them in a corner and they wouldn't let them out and they were, they were rude and they were obnoxious and all these things. I don't want to do any, I don't want to have any part of that. I don't like to be treated that way way, and I don't want to treat anybody else that way. Good news, you don't have to, and you shouldn't, right? I mean, isn't that the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, wouldn't you want somebody to share with you (laughs) this incredibly important information that they had that could impact your life not only now but forever? Wouldn't you want them to share it with you? Wouldn't you want them to do that in a way that respected who you were as a person? They did it not with arrogance and not with, with a forcefulness that, uh, that was trying to force you into something, but with a, a gentleness, a respect for who you are as a person. And that's the approach. Let me tell you a little of my story. Do it with gentleness and do it with respect. And so here's the question. How are you preparing to seize those split-second opportunities to tell someone your story?
How are you preparing? That's what he says, to always being prepared. That I have to prepare in advance because very often when God gives us an opportunity to to plant a seed or water a seed or just kind of be one of that chain, the links in a chain of events that he's going to use to bring somebody uh, to a saving faith, it comes in a split second. I don't know about you, but I can't think of hardly any time, if ever, that I got a 48-hour notice. They say, oh, in a couple days, you're going to have this opportunity, so go ahead and brush up on it. No, 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 no. Split-second opportunity. Oftentimes when I'm least expecting it, and sometimes when I feel like I don't have time for it. Right? But in that moment, God, how can I prepare to seize that opportunity to clearly, concisely drop a seed water a seed, tell a little bit of my story, and see what you might do. And see what you might do. I've moved beyond my fears when I have a personal growing experience with Jesus Christ. When I have prepared for a personal communication of my story, of my experience with Jesus Christ. But a third thing that Peter says here is through a personal walk of integrity. Through a personal walk of integrity. Verse 16, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. There is a a real possibility, and the folks Peter was writing to, the possibility was, was alive and active, that they would suffer for their faith. But he said, live your life in such a way. Live with such integrity. Walk in such a way that when slanderous things are said... Those who know you best will know it's not true because they will have observed your life. Now, there may be folks that will believe anything about anybody, but the folks that are close enough to have rubbed shoulders with you, that they will know. There's something about that man. There's something about that woman. There's something about the way they live their life that's different, that's distinct. They walk with integrity. If you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk, right? And that doesn't mean perfection. None of us is perfect. We all blow it. And part of of, of being real in in our relationship with God is, is owning up to those times that we've blown it. But the direction of my life, the direction of your life is such that when people see us, they know we're not perfect. But they know the direction of our life is this is someone who is seeking to live aligned with God's design. This is someone who is seeking to live in a way that honors their beliefs and their God. One of my favorite biblical examples of that is in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. Many of us know Daniel 6, the chapter of Daniel and the lion's den. And maybe if you don't even know a whole lot about uh, the Bible, that's just not part of your background. Maybe somewhere along the way you heard something about a lion's den. And how did Daniel end up in the lion's den? Well, it was actually because of his integrity. The people were looking for a way to trap him, to get him out of power. And they couldn't find anything about him. 
Look how the scripture records it, Daniel 6. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. That's impressive. I mean, these folks have kind of hired the private investigators, right? They've hired folks to put together the file that we could bring him down. And after the investigation, they come back and say, he doesn't do what the rest of us do. He doesn't compromise in these ways. He doesn't cut corners here. He lives differently. And when we walk that way, it brings some powerful things into our life. A good conscience gives us peace. It gives us peace. And, and to be able just to, uh, to say, I, I don't have to worry about something coming up from three months ago or three years ago. So I have a peace. I haven't been perfect, but I've sought to walk with integrity. And, and there's a peace that comes into our heart and mind. We don't have to, to fear being found out, right? But not only a peace, but the Scripture tells us that there's a courage. There's a courage or a boldness that comes into our lives when we walk with integrity. The Proverbs puts it this way. The wicked flee when no one pursues. <laughs> They're always afraid, I'm going to be found out. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. There's a holy boldness that comes into our life when we walk with integrity. That's not rudeness, that's not arrogance, but it's a holy boldness. It's a courage to push beyond our fears because we know we have sought to live our life in alignment with the revealed will of God. We move beyond our fears through a personal walk of integrity. So here's the question that goes along with that. What are you doing to continually safeguard your integrity? And keep your ethical compass calibrated toward God. These are interesting days in our culture, are they not? It seems like every other day there's something coming out about somebody. Whether it's in media or politics or church world or wherever it might be. But to be men and women who intentionally safeguard their integrity, intentionally recalibrate their ethical compass toward God, it gives us a peace and gives us a courage and a holy boldness when it comes to sharing our faith. For some of us, the first step toward being a more powerful, effective tool in God's hand is to, to clean up our act a little bit, Right? to get some things taken care of. One writer put it this way. He said, you know, it's, it's kind of like a glass window. And the, the sun shines through, and, and our job is to, to keep the window clean, 
Keep the window clean so there's nothing obstructing the light that shines through. And that's part of walking with integrity along the way. But there's one other thing that Peter mentions here. And that is through a powerful explanation of Jesus. That I move beyond my fears when I, when, I, when I am prepared to make a powerful explanation of Jesus. And he, he summarizes it in one verse, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In just that, that, that one verse, he reminds us of, of kind of core gospel truths. He reminds us of, of the problem, of the problem of, of our sin, of our rebellion, that, that we, we all went our way instead of God's way, in ways small and large. We've chosen uh, our pathway, and it leads to a brokenness, a broken relationship with God that, that left uh, un, unchecked, un, unaddressed. Uh, will exist throughout all eternity. The problem is it disconnects me from, from God. It disconnects me from others when I, when I choose uh, to live in unrighteousness, when I choose to live in rebellion against God's love and God's holiness along the way. And the problem is such that I can't fix it myself. But that God did for me what I could not do for myself, and that's the provision. The provision of Jesus Christ, that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That, that Jesus came, God in the flesh came. He intervened in human history. He lived the life that you and I were called to live. He died the death we deserve to die. He, he, did, he did that. He was buried uh, and, and resurrected again, ascended to the Father, coming again someday. The provision of God once and for all for our sin. The problem, the provision, but he also reminds us here of the purpose, in order that he might bring us to God. Why did he do that? Because we had a problem we couldn't fix, we couldn't solve. We couldn't buy our way out of, educate our way out of, religious our way out of. But God did for us in Jesus Christ what we could not do for ourselves so that he could bring us back to God. He could forgive our sin and restore a broken relationship, a relationship that begins now and extends throughout all eternity. That's the core of the gospel message. It is that message that Peter took across the empire, that Paul and others took, ordinary men and women took wherever they went. Paul put it this way, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of that, that simple message of this problem and this provision for this purpose. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
Why do we send mission teams all across the world? Why, why do we have, have, uh, have some of our college students in Europe right now? Why do we have one of our young ladies in, in Southeast Asia right now? Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone, regardless of your background, regardless of your nationality, regardless of your language, regardless of your religious upbringing or no religious upbringing at all. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is that message that you and I have been entrusted with. When we think about Peter, we think about Paul, we think about these these giants, right? I'll never get there. But then we understand there were human beings just like us. And they dealt with some of the same stuff. Notice how Paul talks about how he came to the Corinthians. But when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Here's the descriptor. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. I don't don't know about you, but that encourages the heck out of me. I mean, here's Paul. It wasn't about my great speaking ability. It wasn't about the cleverness of my word phrases. In fact, is when I came, it was in fear and weakness and much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Listen, God uses ordinary men and women, and he uses a simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change lives, change families, change communities, change eternities. He's been doing it and is continuing to do it today. And is he entrusted to you and I that message? And so the last question around these points is this. Are you prepared to share the basic gospel message in a clear and concise way? How can you better prepare for the opportunities that God presents to you? One of my rules of thumb is simply this. If somebody comes up to you this week and says, how can I get into a right relationship with God? Could you begin to answer that? Or would you find yourself meandering and stumbling and saying, go ask the preacher or something, right? Just... A lot of tools out there. We've offered lots of trainings through the years. We'll continue to. But do I, am I prepared to share the basic gospel message? I don't have to have an answer to every question that somebody's going to have. The basic gospel message in a clear and concise way. How can I better prepare for those opportunities? So let me try to put some pieces together in a way that I hope will be helpful to you. 
and have talked about this uh, throughout the years, and hopefully it's pretty easy to remember, and, and maybe you can identify with it. But sometimes when somebody says, what is your personal faith-sharing strategy? What is your personal strategy for being one who, who shares the hope that you have? And I just say, well, my strategy is the pits, all right? And that encourages folks right off the bat, because most of us feel like it's in the pits there. But it stands for something, P-I-T-S, all right? The P is for pray to pray. It, it, it always begins and so to be saturated with prayer. And there are a lot of different ways to pray. I ho- hope that you, maybe you have uh, just two or three folks, uh, or maybe more, but, but at least start with maybe two or three folks in your circles of influence that you say, I, I don't know about their relationship with God, and I'm just going to pray for God to work in their heart and mind and life. And maybe you can even pray something like we, we, we've taught before, like a four-open prayer. Uh, God, God uh, open, a, open a door of opportunity. Open their heart. Open their mind. And open my mouth. Right? Or maybe just a simpler way. We, we taught this in a, in a session we did in a recent disciple life cycle. But uh, just, to, just to pray for three things. Just on, on a daily basis, just say, Lord, today, would you give me an opportunity to speak a word about Christ, to sow a seed, to water a seed, just however you want to use. Give me an opportunity. Lord, give me the wisdom to see it and the courage to seize it. Opportunity, wisdom, courage. I dream sometimes. What would it look like if every person who's in and out of this room three times this morning prayed that prayer every single morning? And we just kind of begin to wander into the world and just with our eyes and minds kind of affixed, Lord, give me an opportunity. Give me the wisdom to see it. and Give me the courage or the boldness to seize it. Maybe it's worth trying. So I begin just to pray. Not only pray, but then the I is for invest and invite. To invest in relationships. And I know this is maybe an incredible challenge. And one of the things that sometimes happens to us over time as we become a follower of Jesus Christ is that sometimes our circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller. That we begin to interact more and more and more with other followers of Jesus Christ. And part of intentionality sometimes is, is pushing beyond that a little bit. And some of you already have some of those things naturally in your work environment in your neighborhoods, maybe in a social circles or a hobby you pursue or whatever it might be. But, but who are those folks? Who are those folks that I can begin to invest in relationally a little bit? You know, Jesus, a lot of the religious folks today didn't like him. And one of the accusations against Jesus was he was a friend of what? Sinners. Yeah. He was a friend of sinners. He went to that wrong party. <laughs> why, why are you hanging out with them? Jesus said, because I came to seek and to save those who were lost. And when I say invite, maybe your mind immediately thinks to inviting to a church service, and maybe that's the appropriate next step. But but can I challenge you to think in terms of an invitation to the right next environment? And that might be inviting somebody out for a cup of coffee (laughs) or to do something together or out for lunch. Or it may be to invite them into your home. You know, one of the things that 
statement just came across and I'm just, just wrestling with God, how do I live this out better? How does Susan and I live this out better? Statement was this. Someone said, you've invited me to your church, but you've never invited me to your home. You invited me to your church, which is good, but you've never invited me to your home. In fact, as we hoped all for this fall, even some maybe training opportunities and how do we kind of better neighbor, how do we, how do we practice the hospitality uh, for the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to encourage you to think about investing and inviting. Who are some of those folks that God would have you to begin? Can't do it with everybody, but who can I begin with? And then T is tell. Tell my story and tell God's story. Tell my story. This is my experience. Let me just share with you a little of my journey. And then tell God's story, that that clear, concise, basic gospel message. And just see what God does. And then the S in pits is the Spirit. The Spirit. And that takes us back to the beginning. The Spirit, we recognize when that fear raises up, we recognize it's normal and it reminds me that I can't do this on my own. It reminds me that I'm a part of something bigger than myself and I need God to be at work. If God's Spirit's not at work, it doesn't matter how much I pray, how much I tell, how much I invest and invite. If God's Spirit is not at work, nothing happens. And so I come at this in absolute dependence upon Him. Jesus said, no one comes can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, by the way, that relieves an awful lot of pressure, doesn't it? I don't have to be so slick that I can close any sale. I just have to share and let the Spirit do His work. Acts 16 is a great example of this. Paul's going, sharing Christ. It's a successful businesswoman by the name of Lydia among them. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Notice the next phrase. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. God's spirit has to be involved. And so I want to kind of wrap this up with a story and then one maybe last word picture that I hope will encourage you. The story is from Dr. Paul Brand. Actually, Philip Yancey wrote about it. Dr. Paul Brand, a follower of Christ, a medical doctor, used by God in, in lots of different environments across the world. He was in India, very uh, uh, rough place, rough part, speaking at a, at a medical college. And in the context, he was talking about Christ and sharing Christ. And the, the place was, was being illuminated there at night by the old oil lamps. Some of you may remember those. Cotton wick, oil would come up through the cotton, the oil would burn. But as the evening went on, the, the supply of oil depleted. And the wick began quickly to dry out. And then the smoke changed color. It got dark It began to stink because now it wasn't the oil that was burning, it was the cotton wick. 
And so much so that there was one like on the table right before him and he began to kind of choke on it. And in that moment, it gave him just a great illustration. He said, you know, when we try to share Christ in our own strength, our own power, it's kind of like that cotton wick. We begin to burn up. And it stinks eventually. But when we're connected to God's Spirit, when God's Spirit is flowing through us, then our light can shine forth again and again and again and again without burning us up, without stinking. Because it's not us doing it in the flesh, but it's God moving through the Spirit. That's what it means to live in that connection with Jesus Christ. That's why it begins with a personal experience with Christ. That's the story. Here's the word picture. John White, years ago, wrote a book entitled The Fight. And one part of that was about being a witness. And the word picture he used was, you and I are just simply called to be signposts. Signposts don't have to be pretty. They just have to be understandable, and they have to point in the right direction, right? If they have those two things, they're doing their job. The signpost can be brand new and shiny, or it can be old. It can be wooden, it can be metal, it can be flashing neon. Doesn't matter, as long as the information is accurate and is pointing in the right direction. Is the information understandable, and is it pointing in the right direction? said, you and I are simply called to be signposts. We're not the Savior. Jesus Christ is. We're just a signpost. You don't have to be pretty. You don't have to be neon. You don't have to be flashing. But you do need to be understandable, clear and concise. And you need to be pointing in the right direction toward Jesus Christ. That's my calling. And that's yours. And when we do it in the power of God's Spirit, God uses us in some incredible, incredible ways. The challenge is to move beyond your fears. Don't let your fears be a stop sign, but let it be an encouragement that God can work through you to point other people to himself. Let's pray together, please. Oh, Father, thank you that somebody... Somewhere along the way has been a sign, a signpost in our life that pointed us towards you. And Father, maybe we can't even remember all the names of all the signposts you used, but you pointed us by and through your people to Jesus Christ. And for many, many, many of us in this room, we just say thank you. Thank you for using ordinary men and women to do the extraordinary. Thank you for men and women who pushed beyond their fears so that our life could be changed. And Father, we come today and for followers of Jesus Christ in this room, we just say, here we are. And most of us are painfully aware of our inadequacies and our shortcomings our failures, the things we don't know. But Lord, would you remind us of the one that we do know? The one who takes ordinary men and women 
and does extraordinary things through their lives. Father, today, would you teach us, would you stretch us, would you make us a signpost for you? I'm just going to invite you to take just a couple more moments in the context of this service to sit before the Lord.